Hey guys, uh, welcome to another week of the Two Guys on Politics podcast. It's uh, Brian Broken with me. We've got. Uh, I'm Bill Lipinski. <laughs> and I'm Ray Anania. And, and this week we're going to talk about uh, a couple different things. First, first we're kind of going to lead off with Bitcoin and central bank reserve currencies and uh, a few of those different ideas and then uh, move on and talk a little bit about the the shooting that happened down in Texas uh, just yesterday. Uh, so to kind of kick us off, I, I wanted to talk about reserve currencies, the U.S. dollar, our standing in the world post-Ukraine war, uh, and kind of the idea that's been bubbling up recently that America and the U.S. dollar is losing its dominance throughout the world because of the way we've cut off both Russia and in a way, China, because of their dependence on Russian natural gas from the world economy. And that has prompted them to start talking about creating their own SWIFT, their own interdependency between each other and kind of the, the fallout effects and different problems that could be, uh, you know, arise from this. And, and most of all, the, the concern that, you know, countries that don't trade with each other war with each other, and, and that could cause future wars. Explain, though, for people what SWIFT is. I think I know what it is, but just uh, for those that don't. So the general way I understand it is all of banking, you know, each bank of each country, Italy, the U.S., whatever, they, they all need to communicate with each other to basically settle money going from one to the other. And the way banking works is, you know, in, in a certain time period, say a month, my bank sends your bank $10 million worth of money and your bank sends me $9 million worth of money. At the end of the month, we settle up using the SWIFT network saying, these are the debits, these are the credits, and I'll send you the million dollars to kind of settle out the gap, or you'll send me the million dollars, sorry, uh, to kind of settle out that gap. And it's basically a way for the entire world to kind of come to an understanding of what the assets on each bank's balance sheet is. And this has been United States dollars since 1944, Bretton Woods, right? So we, we have been in a era of dominance of the US dollar. It, it's been a, a subtle change over the decades of starting about near World War I, we had the gold standard that was still in full effect. But to pay for the war, World War I, Britain did this interesting thing where they told their citizens to buy war bonds to fund the war. And that's how you used to do it. You used to use your gold and sell war bonds. And what Britain did then was they actually bought their own war bonds with their central bank. And that kind of started this cascade over the next couple of decades of slowly falling off the gold standard up until what, 1973, when we officially left. And then after that, the US dollar became essentially the reserve currency of the world. It was used for almost any economic means, any country wants it because it was as good as gold. Didn't that also come as a result of, uh, you know, the dollar being the main uh, currency that people would base everything off of? the fact that we were kind of like leading the trade in the industry in, in the world, we would produce products, we'd require it to be purchased in dollars. Um, so it kind of, you know, imposed itself, didn't it, on the rest of the world? Was that part of it? 
that was part of it. The, the other part that you can kind of look at is, you know, the, the U.S. dollar was the least inflationary asset of all the available currencies. Europe had just gone through a war. They were going to print a lot of money. Basically, any other continent on the planet was either wrecked by war or had no real industry. So it was almost by de facto, we needed to use the U.S. dollar because it would be the least inflationary of all the different uh, currencies. I just wanted to close the door in my office. I wasn't walking out. I was listening to everything you had to say. <laughs> you made mention of the fact that, uh, you know, the, uh, the U.S. dollar uh, is sort of being uh, shunned aside uh, as far as the reserve currency. Uh, but I mean, it is still definitely the dominant uh, currency in the world. Uh, the only two countries of any significance that are trying to get away from it are uh, Russia and China, as far as uh, I know. And the Russians started that going back to about 2013. Uh, and they finally found somewhat of a winning partner uh, with China now. Uh, they want to, they're setting up the their own, uh, you know, system to get around SWIFT, to get around the USA, but it, it's not set up as of yet. That's correct. But part of the problem is countries are starting to realize that holding U.S. dollars doesn't mean anything. Russia was holding hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars worth of U.S. currency in their banks when this fighting started. And look what happened. We basically told them the dollars were invalid. It's not a store of currency if one central entity can just say, oh, this is not a store of value anymore. Those are invalid dollars. And that, that can happen to any other country. Look at what we did over the past three years. We printed $7 billion to stimulate the economy during COVID. And we're finally you know, kind of grappling with the problems that that caused. Uh, it, it, it's not a, a just China and Russia problem, I think. I think the entire world as a whole is beginning to realize that we've been abusing the fact that we are the central bank currency of the world. And there's no reason in particular that we need to be. Well, how have we been abusing it? We've basically inflated the dollar at an incredible rate over the past couple of years to make it rapidly depreciate in price, right? It, for the gold standard, gold was used for the longest time for several different reasons. But one of the biggest reasons was we, we increased the supply of gold by about one and a half percent every year. And that was good. We could keep it in reserves. And we knew, look, your, your gold will get 1.5% less valuable each year, year over year, given the inflation of the, the amount of gold. We don't know what the supply of the dollar is going to be from one year to the next. We don't know what's going to happen in the crisis. No one seems to know what the Fed is going to do, which way they want to pull the economy. So we're essentially at a lever where Jerome Powell is over there just printing dollars, removing dollars, just yanking the economy back and forth. And no one wants to base their economy on that. Well, but by the same token, uh, what, uh, you know, the currency of what country could supplant us? I mean, we are still the most stable uh, liberal democracy in the world. 
uh, you know, where else would you rather put your money? In, in Russia? There, is a, there are two a, options. Terrible economy. And, I, and the Chinese, I don't see how the Chinese can stop dealing with dollars. With all the money that they make off of all the stuff that they sell to us, we're paying them off in dollars. We're not going to pay them off in yen or whatever they call their products. So I don't see where they're going any place either. But the problem is twofold. One, rapid inflation can make the currency useless. So, but is it all the currency inflated around the world now? Don't we have inflation? It is every, every central bank. It, it is a problem of every central bank. And that's why there's really two options going forward back on the gold standard as a society or two Bitcoin. Those are the two realistic problem solvers for this basically complete Keynesian control of the economy and just printing money how they feel like it, messing with the economy in all these different ways. Well, is there enough gold to go back at the gold standard? Well, it doesn't matter. That's the point of gold, right? The point of gold is we know how much there is. And that way you can properly value it. The reason we can't properly value anything in the current economy and why we see all this you know, trouble going back and forth to stocks, stocks you know, collapsing, is we don't know what a dollar is worth anymore. Stocks aren't a store of value anymore. Homes aren't a store of value. You can always build more homes. All, all, all these things Americans think of as stores of value are just as correlated to the U.S. dollar as the U.S. dollar itself. They're all being you know, devalued over time. So really the only thing we have is we know gold increases at one and a half percent per year of supply. Bitcoin right now increases about one and a half percent as well. So each of those you can kind of predict and know what the value of these things are. I don't trust Bitcoin. I don't trust Bitcoin either. I, I, I just <laughs> I'm sorry, Brian. In, in the Wall Street Journal or the New York Times saying uh, it's time to bury Bitcoin. Uh, may it rest in there, peace. There's a so campaign against it. How we can go. Yeah, there is a big campaign against it. No question about it. No uh, one campaigning against it knows what, what Bitcoin really provides. Or they're Keynesian economics professors and they, they don't believe in the economy at all. The whole point of this is we live in this world where we degrade future opportunities for present because of the way we use inflation now. Why do all these Americans now live paycheck to paycheck? Why do all these people throughout the world have always lived paycheck to paycheck, essentially? It's because of inflation. You can't know what your dollar is going to buy you three years from now, even, given the current environment. Look at our inflation now. You might as well you know, give up future, which is advancements in technology, you know, society, all these different things. You're lowering the time preference of Americans, and that's bad for everyone. I think. What sorry, I Bill. Do, just say, what I what I should do is take my money and go out and buy land someplace because the the land always increases in value. In that way, I'll be riding the inflation rise also by purchasing all this land instead of keeping the money I have and having it be eroded by inflation. Other than Bitcoin, yeah, I think land is the second best uh, store of value. But at the same time, buying homes and cities, you know, you're still subject to the jurisdiction, the laws and different ideas. Bitcoin, you can't regulate. It's an unregulatable asset. And that's very important. 
you can always build more homes. So the value of homes can go down. You can't build more Bitcoin. We know how much there will be. You know, part of the problem, I think, has to do with the uh, the shift from products that we were necessity products that were much cheaper to necessity products today that are very, very expensive. And I, I blame that on the technology industry. And I'm not saying there's anything bad about the technology industry, but it's so much more expensive and it drags up all the prices. And as the prices go up, the dollar that I make as a worker, I make a certain amount of money every year. Um, that money buys less and less every year. Um, and, I, and whatever I get in increases doesn't even come close to the rate of the cost that are increasing so much faster than what I'm making. That's what I think is the big threat facing our country because at some point it, that's gonna weaken us. And I think you know, for a long time, we had a strong stable economy. Uh, even though it fluctuated and we had our ups and downs and we had our market crashes and everything, um, we were pretty stable and we were pretty confident uh, uh, that things were going to, we could see it going up, even though there'd be the dips. But now I'm unsure. So maybe the Chinese and the Russians, I, I, although I can't imagine China being that stupid to do what they do in the United States and take that investment strategy that they put in the United States and shift that to a, a crappy country like Russia. I know Trump had a different name for countries like that, and it's probably appropriate. So I've been to Russia twice, and it's a horrible place uh, where only the elite really have money. So for China to want to shift its investments you know, to Russia, to have that relationship with them, would be a huge mistake for them. I, I think they're going to go where the market is, and the market is still the United States. I mean, you, you spend your money where you think you're going to get the best you know, buy. And it's a perception issue. And I think the perception is still that we're leading the system. So I, I think in that you just made the argument for a gold or Bitcoin-backed central currency. Let me interrupt is, you just for one second. I read that Russia is starting a, a, a Bitcoin themselves, a digital coin. Is that correct? I'm sure they are. And it's if, if a, di a central bank digital currency comes to the U.S., it will be the single worst thing that's ever happened to the U.S. economy. Currently, right now, we're in a system where you can print however much U.S. dollars you want. But at least the demand is met by people wanting to borrow. The richest people in this country, this, this country itself, what do they do? They take on debt because they know the U.S. dollar is constantly devaluing. So if they take that now, they pay it back in 40 years, they've gained a massive spread on the, the population. And part of that is kind of causing the you know, increasing wealth gap in America, where the people who can borrow do borrow, and then they pay back at a later date. Whereas Americans who hold their dollars, buy stocks, bonds, all these different things that are correlated heavily to the US dollar, they're getting left behind because the, the gap widens. Well, that, that was the principle and the whole purpose of a mortgage, buying land. I'd buy a mortgage where the mortgage payment was only six, $700 30 years ago. And then my property increases three or four times the value. And I'm looking at that at $600 mortgage saying, wow, that's nothing. And then I go out and I can buy a home with a $3,000 mortgage and then going, wow, that's a lot. But in 10 years from now, that $3,000 mortgage payment 
is going to be considered nothing, you know, because well, yeah, of inflation. We're, the system we're constantly is inflated. Yeah. So, I mean, I agree with Bill. I, he mentioned this earlier. Property is just a huge, I think, a long term, still a good long term investment. And I'm I not think sure it is. I might buy gold, although I've never seen gold profit the way they would say it would. It's a slow growth thing. But Bitcoin, I'm just not convinced yet that it's uh, a good investment. The, the, the problem there, at least with gold, is it's becoming more a commodity metal rather than a use for transaction metal. Right. And therefore, it hasn't kept up at the same rate. The bet on gold would essentially be if we do enter a place where we have a central bank digital currency, which basically allows economies to turn off and turn on your dollars whenever they want, if you're using this. Currently right now, the blockchain is decentralized in the sense that these dollars, if they're in your wallet, you could spend them, no one can stop you. But these central bank digital currencies that you're talking about, Russia getting, us maybe getting, what, what could they do with it? Say at the start of COVID, they want everyone to lock down. What do they do? They turn off your digital currency and say, you can't spend this, you know, for two that's weeks. One, that's one reason why I would never get Bitcoin. I don't want anybody to have that kind of control that's, over that's my bank a or my, my credit card. There's a difference there. The central bank digital currency is owned by the Fed, is owned by the U.S. government. Bitcoin is a decentralized set of nodes where any participant in the network is an inherent owner of the network. Because you gain value in the same way, because it's proof of work, because you have to expend physical energy to get Bitcoin, that's valued. I think well, uh, it will take to educate the American public to how successful Bitcoin could be for the United States of America. I think it's going to take someone clearly laying out how this current crisis of inflation could have been avoided given a more rigid economic setup for America. The, the problem is, you know, the, the story of economics is the Austrians versus the Keynesians, right? And the Keynesians are the print the money, we don't care, all this, you know, fugazi, fugazi, you know, it's, it's all up in the air. The Austrians base it in reality. And I, I think the problem is too many people in the government are Keynesians and don't believe in the, the true value of a low interest, low inflation environment for the American people. Well, what about the Fed at the present time increasing the, uh, the interest uh, rates? Isn't that going to do some good to make the American dollar more uh, uh, you know, stronger, more stable? Well, the issue is what they've done, right, is they've they increased the supply a lot just by nature of the way economies work, that money went to the top, right? It goes to the top a couple percent. The top a couple percent has more money to borrow with. So they borrow more money and they spend it. And then that increases the inflation rate even more going forward. And even though we're tapering back now with increasing the, the Fed hike by like what, 50 basis points, it, it doesn't repair the damage you do each time you go through this loop. Because it, it worsens the, you know, the, the separation between the haves and the have-nots. And I think that's actually a good point of where Americans might buy into Bitcoin and gold. I, I think the wealth gap was created in large part due to us leaving the gold standard. 
And as it gets worse in this country, the argument to go back is better. If, uh, if the Chinese are foolish enough to go into this uh, uh, international money uh, agreement with uh, the Russians, uh, who else do you think will in soon come into the same, uh, same grouping uh, with uh, those two countries? Can you think of anybody uh, else offhand that might come in? Uh, Iran, uh, North Korea, I don't know if North Korea's got any kind of, uh, you know, uh, value whatsoever. Uh, who else might come in? Do you have any and, idea? Any country that trades with those countries will inherently have to be on that system. So we, we end up being in a two, you know, state system. We'll, we'll have the swift American system and the Chinese, whatever they call their system. It, inherently, everyone will have to join. We'll have to join. Just like they'll rejoin. They're still in swift. China is, right? But there's nothing that stops them from starting their own network. And then we'll eventually have to join theirs. But there there's nothing stopping it. If they do establish, if they go through and establish in this network, right now the network simply is them and Russia, not the rest of the world. Sure. But what, what if they say, we're not settling payments on SWIFT anymore? What do we do? Are we just going to stop trading with them? Then we're yeah. going to fight a war with them. That's the yes. only other logical example. Stop anyway, trading with them. Hell with stop them. trading with them. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. And what do you I'm, do? What what happens when countries stop trading with each other? They go to war. Well, that's, that's the only right. other result. That's not necessarily my conclusion. Right. Mine I'm either. not saying but. you're wrong, but I'm not saying I'm wrong either. Uh, if you don't have an interdependence on the person, why not try to win if you think you're the stronger entity? Well, Russia had no interdependence on Ukraine. Why did they try and invade Ukraine? Because they thought they can win. It's the same thing. If we don't trade with China, they'll try and fight a war with us. Uh, All right. Well, I guess we better get ready to fight a two-front war. <laughs> I think All we right. should just solve the monetary policy of the U.S. and go back on the... We should go on the Bitcoin standard. Uh, why is... Uh, uh, no, I'm not going to go there. All I, right. I, this, one's get, this has gotten deep enough already. All right, okay. Brian. Thank you. Do you have any more to say on this, Brian, right now? No, I think that, that about wraps it up for this week. All right. Well, you're the, directing us, so we're, you know, you're so the I, producer. I guess we'll, we'll next go to the, uh, the shooting down in Texas that happened that claimed the lives of, what, up to 19 children now and a, a couple teachers. Um, very, very sad, sad environment. Um, an 18-year-old who shall not be named, uh, shot up the, the school in a, you know, the worst school shooting massacre since Sandy Hook um, many years ago. So it's, it's very interesting. I, I don't know how you guys uh, feel about it, but it does seem like America more and more is becoming the, you know, school shooting capital of the world. And, and that's something we, we need to find a way to solve. Yeah, there have been there have been 27 shootings I was reading in an article at schools in the past year, um, you know, which is it sounds remarkable. 27 in the past year. Yeah. Is that right? Boy, it's I think that that number is even lower than some number that floats around. Yeah, that, it might. Yeah, it might be higher. But uh, uh, when you think about it now, but then on the other hand, 
you know, when trends happen, we start focusing on something, shootings in schools, suddenly we're attentive to shooting in schools and we start tabulating and, you know, counting them. Um, I'm not sure that uh, schools haven't had shootings uh, before. We just didn't pay attention to them the way we do today. Uh, there are shootings in other states, for example. Um, do we have this problem because in the United States of America, 48% of all the individual owned handguns, rifles, assault weapons are owned by people in the United States. 48% of the world's weapons. It's incredible, isn't it? I don't know how they calculate that. So I, I don't know. trust the calculation like that. How much what, what would you say? I, no, no, I'm, I'm saying I don't know what it is, but the idea that the uh, implication is that we, we as Americans have more guns in our possession than any other country. I, I don't know. I see wars in every other country, in, internal wars and conflict and violence. Um, and then I see what happens in Chicago um, on a day-to-day -day basis. And it, it seems like crime is treated in a different way, you know, through various shades of politics. And it's, it's viewed in different ways in through political glasses. And, well, and I ask, think that's part of the problem. Let me ask the two of you this question. Uh, do you think that we, if we have more gun control laws on the books, that it will reduce these shootings in schools? And you know, not only in schools, I mean, we've had shootings at churches, mosques, uh, temples, you know, uh, I mean, these mass shootings are getting to be a regular occurrence in this country, and we have to figure out a way to stop it. Now, if we impose more laws pertaining to guns, do you think that's going to stop it? I, for one, think it's, it's an easy argument for people to make that we own all these guns in this country. We, we don't, you know, we don't background check for different things is the argument always. I don't see that. I don't really think, I think that's an easy way to say what the problem is, but I think it's much deeper and much more complex than that. I don't think it's as simple as passing, you know, tougher background check laws. Uh, I mean, look at two of the most recent shootings outside of Texas happened in New York. New York has some of the strictest gun laws in the country. I Illinois has a similar amount Um you know, Chicago is a war zone, as, as some people call it at times. Uh, I think it's, it's much more complicated than that. And I, I don't think de-arming the American population is the solution to that either. A lot of people will call for complete de-arming of Americans. They'll say, you know, the founders would have never thought an AR-15 could have been a, a weapon of war. Um, I would kind of argue that that doesn't really matter. The, the bigger argument there is a population should be able to defend itself from its government. That's, a, that's an inherent belief of this country. And you shouldn't take that away because of the problems we're having. We should address them. We should figure out, you know, the different causes of these shootings. But a, a lot of the proposed solutions, I, I don't think are well thought out. They're, they're simply, you know, pointing at obvious data points that don't necessarily need to be correlated. Yeah, I don't, I was going to say that uh, I think if we pass tougher gun laws, 
more law-abiding citizens will be less criminal. But the criminals are going to get the guns no matter how many laws, how tough the laws are. I, I do think that uh, background checks should be necessary for anybody to get a weapon um, legally, but I don't think that really stops the criminal element from getting weapons. You know, there's a law that says you can't have an AK-47. Uh, most states don't allow you to walk around with an AK-47 with a full, you know, uh, 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 yeah, with a full, uh, what do they call it, with bullets? Magazine. A magazine with bullets. Um, full metal jacket, I think, is the metal, the military term for it. And yet, uh, you know, in May, we saw a kid in Chicago with an AK-47. So what did the law do? And he shot a guy in the middle of the street and killed him. So the point is that, you know, what bothers me is whenever we have a crime like this, and the worse it gets, and you kill 19 kids, that's really gut-wrenching. And they haven't even gotten into the detail of how badly these kids were killed. It wasn't just, you know, bullets the way we think, oh, bullet goes in you. These were bullets that exploded and blew kids up. I mean, it's horrible from just some of the details. And I think the media is holding it's some of that back. It's difficult to identify uh, many of these bodies. I mean, they're almost irreconcilable. Right. They have the DNA to decide who it was. I mean, just that alone is, this is such a horrifying act. And to me, what bothers me the outside of that is bothers me the most. But the next thing that bothers me is how we, you know, our politicians turn to politics and the argument over gun control as the answer. You know, like we have Chuck Schumer saying, I'm going to push this through and we're going to wait until the Republicans meet us here and define the new gun control so we can bring this to an end. And I'm thinking, you're not going to bring anything to an end. The four toughest gun laws are New York, Philadelphia, Baltimore, and Chicago. Chicago is the fourth toughest gun law according to all the reports I've seen, and we have the worst gun violence. 224 people killed just in the first five months. Um, it, it's upsetting to me when somebody like even Beto O'Rourke goes to, a, you know, to the press conference in Texas and starts pandering you know, to the media because the media plays it up and says, oh, look at this guy. He's speaking out for us. And I'm going, what are you doing? You're exploiting these kids for your own political benefit that's what makes me sick the most you know when i see that um no what we should do is we should have everybody come together set this should have brought america together and we shouldn't be saying republicans and democrats we should be saying we're americans how do we stop this but we don't have any leaders that are saying that everybody's uh carving out their niche you know, the Democrats and the Republicans, and they're going into an election and they want to use this for their election purposes. But I think the American people are smarter than the politicians think. And I think that uh, it's not going to benefit. I don't think Schumer is going to get the big benefit that he wants. And I don't think Mayor Lori Lightfoot is going to escape her responsibility for the terrible uh, crime that takes place in the city that she's failed to address. Well, if I could, I'd confiscate every single gun in this country. Uh, but you can't do that. Uh, people, Not even can't. Define the word can't, because 
not only can't you, but it's impossible to do, right? I well, mean, it's impossible to do. Absolutely. Yeah. There's no question about it. Uh, but, uh, and what happened down in Texas is horrendous. I mean, there are no words strong enough to say yeah. how bad this was. But I'll tell you, in my mind, the second worst thing in this situation is what has happened with the warring parties in this country. Joe Biden spent four, five, six minutes talking about how terrible that was, the mass shooting down in Texas. The next 15 minutes he spent condemning the Republicans for not passing this law, for not passing that law, for not cooperating with the Democrats and making this country more successful. I have listened to people like Sean Hannity, Tucker Carlson, and then my favorite station in Chicago, the Progressive Democratic Station, pulls apart both of them. What do they do? They speak for a limited amount of time about the terrific uh, situation in Texas, how horrendous it was, and then immediately they spend the next 20, 25 minutes condemning the opposite party and blaming them for what has happened in this country. And once again, this is an issue that is driving Americans further and further apart. We have to find some way to bring Americans back together. How? I don't know. I'm not smart enough to know, but maybe there's someone yeah. in this country that is smart enough to know how to bring us back together. We can't even have a discussion publicly um, without somebody attacking you for saying, if you say guns, gun ownership isn't the issue because most of the guns that are legally owned are not the guns that are involved in these crimes that we're seeing. Some kid, there's an 18 year old kid that, how did they get the two guns? I, I don't know. Uh, his parents should know. And, and I'm not, he shot his grandmother. There's a problem in that family. And were we aware of that? You know, we don't look at the uh, family circumstances that feed these problems with these kids. Uh, not you know, only do we not look at the family circumstances, we don't look at the full facts before everything happens, right? Right. As you said, they're at each other's throats four minutes after addressing the situation. This was, you know, two, three hours after the event happened. How do you even know entirely what happened there? You don't know the full backstory of all the different things. You're calling for stricter gun control. You don't know if that would have helped, what would have helped. Right. Why are you calling? You're calling for this vague thing called gun control. Nope. What does that mean? What law on the books would have stopped this? Right. Show me it. Then you pass it. How you did this kid get his argument. gun? Right. How did his, this kid get those AR-15s? And let's look at that. But you're right. Nobody took the time to look at that. They don't even know what happened. But the vultures, I think, are the I, I, I think it's mostly the liberal media. Um, and I think it's a biased media. They feed on this. And for them, this is not just, they're not uh, looking at an issue in a fair, balanced way to say, oh my gosh, this is what happened. They're, they're leading the charge saying, oh, the police down in Texas didn't respond fast enough because Texas is a Republican state. We can criticize them. We can criticize the police. Had the same thing happen in Chicago. The media wouldn't say, oh, the police didn't respond. I didn't hear any media say, the police didn't do their job when protesters and looters 
were destroying businesses and beating people up in Chicago after the George Floyd uh, killing. They rampaged. It was a riot on our streets. And the media downplayed it and said, listen, we got to bring this down. So I think the media is complicit um, because their motto, the slogan, and I'm a former journalist, I know this, if it bleeds, it leads. I do not want healthy stories. I want blood and guts on the front page because I believe the American people want to buy it. As a journalist, journalists believe that's what the American people want. I'm not sure that's really true. Let me, let me ask both of you a question. Uh, has the United States Supreme Court made any decision in the last 40 years that has increased the possibility of uh, all these guns being in the United States or all these guns being used by younger people? I don't know of anything the Supreme Court has done, uh, you know, to advance that terrible position. Do either one of you know? No, I don't. Oh, I, I think it goes all the way back to Columbine, right? That's the first huge story of a school shooting. And, you know, these, these people are... What did the Supreme Court decisions have to do with even Columbine? I don't think that has anything to do with it. I don't think the Supreme Court matters at all in this situation. So I, now, on two different progressive Democratic radio stations, I heard the commentator go on for 15 or 20 minutes that we owe the blame to the Supreme Court for decisions that they have made in the last 30 and 40 years. Yeah. It's totally untrue. The Supreme Court, right. as far as I know, and you two agree, they haven't made any decisions that have encouraged this use of guns. But what is it? The Supreme Court is viewed as a Republican entity right. now. So it's another opportunity for the progressive Democrats to attack them and blame them for all the shootings that are going on in this country. Right. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. I think that this this whole process has been politicized. And I'm not in, and while I criticize the, the progressives and the left, I'm not saying the right hasn't done it either, the far right. They've been just as bad, but the far left is much more effective at this because they do have the majority, I believe, of the media promoting their you know, uh, cries and their screams and their accusations uh, and them deciding when a story is a story to attack like in Texas, and when is there a story to just kind of temper, like in Chicago? Don't go too hard on Lightfoot, but let's go crazy on Governor Abbott. He's a Republican. She's a Democrat, Black, woman, lesbian. We can't attack her. You know, she's a minority. So let's go soft on her. Well, and he's I a Excuse me. I almost said he was a cripple. He's a guy that's very handicapped. He's in a wheelchair. Right. Now, many years ago, when I used to listen to the baseball games by Jack Brickhouse, he used to talk about the poor cripples that couldn't get out to the game, but they listened on the radio. So he wanted to make sure he did a good job. But we shouldn't mention a word like that today. The right. Is no, but some people you point out an important point, Bill, and I'll tell you, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but there were a lot of people that were upset that Governor Abbott wasn't standing at a podium and they didn't know that he couldn't stand at the podium. Right. He was sitting at a table and uh, and, and with Beto O'Rourke challenging him, they wondered, why doesn't he stand up? 
because he doesn't respect the issue. And I'm thinking, you people are crazy on social media. The guy's handicapped. Leave him alone. Facts don't matter in today's world. We've gotten to a point where it's, it's easier to react to something than actually accomplish anything. And we'll all, as sad as it is, move on from this and nothing will come out of it in right. four weeks. That's the way right. it always is. And it keeps happening because no one wants to put in the work to do something about it. And meanwhile, 224 people killed in Chicago. Nobody really cares. You know, 19 kids killed in Texas, major issue. And I'm not degrading what happened in Texas, but what about the half of the 224 people killed in Chicago? The majority of them were kids, you know, young kids that were shot, you know, used by street gang members um, and killed. I, I just don't see the, and, and I think it's politics that keeps the response differently. And I think that's so wrong. It just really is uh, disrespectful to the dead. Um, and I think when you listen to the families in Texas, when you really hear what they have to say, it's only a few of them that the media has really promoted. But I have a sense that a lot of those families don't agree with the media agenda about what's happening on this. That's a very good point. I see the same families over and over again. And here are the same two family. or three. That's it. Exactly. There are 19 of them. Mm -hmm. I, I don't think that they're the media is selective on who they promote, who they quote, who they put on the air. And they're not going to allow somebody to get on. If I were the parent of a child that had been killed, pointing to Chicago saying gun control. What about gun control in Chicago? It's not doing it. I want a real answer. What they should have prevented this killing. Maybe it's some other thing that we needed to do. Maybe it has to do with the fact that we're not paying attention to broken families. We're not paying attention to kids don't, that don't get the, you know, that do well in school or are not controlled by their parents or can run around in the middle of the night like they do in Chicago with no uh, accountability or responsibility. Oh, we got a curfew now. That's not going to happen anymore. Yeah, and of course, you know, law-abiding people will, follow the curfew, but you know, the, the criminals, what does that mean to them? Nothing. Anyway, it's just well, sad. I think, I think one thing that we, a practical thing we could do as far as preventing this stuff happening in schools is to beef up the security at schools. And I'm talking about having a couple of armed guards on duty, you know, constantly patrolling when students are there in the event that someone wants to start shooting once again in the school, we have someone right there that can take them out. Now, of course, they could also wait until the children are being dismissed, and in many cases on their way to a bus or something like that when they attack them. But I think there are ways to protect them when they actually are in the classroom. And when I grew up, at, uh, I went to Bowen High School on the southeast side. Mike Sheehan was a patrol officer who was assigned to Bowen High School, and he grabbed me by the ear one time when he caught me smoking in the bathroom, and, it, and he took me to the principal's office. Back then, police were, the perception was they were tough. The government backed them. They stood behind them. They didn't minimize them. They didn't ridicule them. They didn't want to defund them. I was afraid, and kids were afraid of the police. Today, they're minimized. They're ridiculed. They're dehumanized by politicians like Lori Lightfoot and even Pritzker and uh, a lot of other politicians. And I think that's also part of the problem. If you aren't tough, 
criminals will take advantage of you. If they don't think you're tough, if they're not afraid of you, they're going to go after you. I concur. I'm exhausted, my friends. Me too. This is a terrible, this, this is a terrible thing in Texas. I, I think we all agree though, that oh, no, you know, it's just horrendous and horrible. And uh, we hope it, I hope, and we all hope, I'm sure that this doesn't happen again. Yes, I agree. All right. All right. Well, for, for everyone, th thanks for tuning in this week. Uh, I'm, I'm producer Brian. I'm Bill Lipinski. And I'm Ray Hanania. We'll all see you next week uh, with more topics on Two Guys in Politics with our producer, Brian Broking.